Lynn Hiles Ministries presents That You Might Have Life. He said he didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. So Jesus came that we might have life. The Bible said in him was life, the life was the light of men. The more light you have, the more life you're going to have. So you can have peace was on me. That's why it's called the gospel of peace. He took your punishment so you could get his peace. He took what you had coming so you could get what he has coming. All around the country and around the world, people just like you are awakening to the good news of Jesus Christ. What God wanted to do was release the kingdom of God in your life until the joy and the peace and the righteousness of the Holy Ghost would so fill your life. I don't want to just make heaven my home. I want to make my home like heaven. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again today on the program. I trust you've been blessed by what you're hearing coming from this ministry. We encourage you to tell your friends about us and uh, share us on Facebook. Go to our Facebook page and uh, like us at Lynn House Ministries, and we always put this uh, a link up to the program. Uh, There's so many ways that you can go back and watch some of the stuff that we've archived. Uh, of course. You can watch it on uh, any of our YouTube page, uh, and there's a link there from our website at lenhouse.com where you can go right there and subscribe to our YouTube page. Watch it on your smartphone, your smart television, anywhere you've got an internet connection. You can also download uh, TBN's apps, and uh, you can get all 10 of their channels, or you can actually write your cable company and ask them to carry the church channel on your cable, and that helps us to get uh, TBN kind of a uh, a broader base of viewership for their channels that are not as pro uh, as prominent as their TBN channels. So uh, you can download the apps. There's so many ways to get uh, the program that you don't have to miss anything. Because what we are doing is we are unfolding and have been over the last probably 10 weeks or better, maybe, maybe 12 weeks, sharing from the book of Revelation some things. And I'm going to jump back in uh, again today because I, I want to just uh, continue where I was at last week. We kind of ran out of time last week. We were talking about the church at Smyrna. Now if you remember that one of the themes we've had almost for the entire whole year last year was we were dealing with the concept of repentance. And repentance is not a bad word. It simply means you change the way you think. It's metanoia. When you change the way you think, it changes everything about what you do, how you live your life. Right believing will produce right living. And uh, I believe God is in the process of adjusting our thinkings. And so uh, the, the, the seven churches that are in the book of Revelation, and if you've been watching, you know we've been teaching on the book of Revelation, and we have been unpacking some powerful stuff. But I want to go back and read the text here in uh, chapter 2, book of Revelation. It says, Under the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know your works and tribulation and poverty. And then he puts it in brackets and he says, but you're rich. In other words, I know your works, and I know your poverty, and I know your. I know what you're going through, and you're going through a lot of stuff. But, hello, you're rich. In other words, man, you can have everything in the world provided for you, but if you don't access some of this stuff, you're not going to be able to experience it. And he goes on to say to them, "But you're rich." And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. We'll deal with that in another segment. 
Fear none of those things that you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation. Watch this for 10 days. But be faithful unto, the, unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now, I want to talk about suffering some more in this particular segment. Because I believe there's a lot of wrong belief systems about suffering. Now, I believe that there's a suffering that we have been redeemed from. We have been redeemed from sin, from sickness, from poverty, and from death. Jesus paid the debt so that we could be healed, filled, blessed, delivered. Isaiah says, He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement for my peace was laid on Him, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus provided for us in His death, His burial, and His resurrection, and in His atonement, everything we need that pertains to life and godliness Jesus said when He came on the planet, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundant. Not just a trip or a ticket to heaven, but an abundant life on every level. That's what God had in mind. God's intent, God's original intent is if He put us in the middle of a paradise, a garden that He planted, said all you got to do is guard and keep this garden and enjoy living in this paradise. That was probably God's original intent. Every other suffering, every other pain, every other problem did not originate from God. It originated from man's fall and from man's sin. And the reality of it is, is that we suffer many times because not of what God is doing or putting on us, but because of our own ignorance or because of our own uh, not having a revelation of what God has for us. I, th I go on to see that just even after man loses that, God still is determined to bring man back into that uh, place because when He brings them out of Egypt, He says, look, I'm going to bring you up out of the bondage of the tyranny of slavery and the servitude of Egypt, and I want to bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey. It looked to me like God's intention again in His redemption there was to bring them into a land that flows with milk and honey where the provision and the supply give you rain in due season, bless your cattle, bless your kids, bless, I'll bless you coming in, bless you going. That was God's intention. The book of Deuteronomy declares, it says, I will give you the days of heaven on earth. That's what God wants for His people. Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He further declared that every time He came to destroy the works of the devil, that every time He healed the sick, raised the dead, or cast out a devil, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. God is no more using sickness to process me than He is sin. God certainly is not putting some uh, terrible, he's not, using, he's not using some terrible sin that I've done uh, to process me. So if He is not using sin to process me, what would make me think He's using sickness to process me? I think it's wrong believing when you tell people that, uh, that God put sickness on them because He's trying to deal with something in them or to make them more compassionate towards others who are sick. If that's the case, Jesus uh, was probably the most ineffective one there ever was because He didn't have cancer. He didn't have, uh, you know, He didn't have uh, the things that, that many times we think God's putting on us. He was able to heal people without having been in the hospital. And I'm not saying that we don't go through things and that in the middle of going through those things, God doesn't use us or use, uh, you 
you know, or, or that we don't learn things through them. I'm not saying that, 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 you know, God can work all things together for good to them that love God and who are the called according to His purpose. But my part, my, my deal is avoid as much pain as you possibly can, especially when Jesus already paid it all. See, I think what He's saying here, He said, the devil will cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And you have tribulation for 10 days. Now, what I begin to understand was that when Jesus reveals Himself to this church as the first and the last, the one who was dead and is, and is alive, the first thing He reveals to this church who's in the midst of suffering, and the name Smyrna itself means the bitterness of suffering or the suffering. And uh, he, what He's doing is He's telling this, this church, I'm the first and the last. In other words, all of your suffering came because of the fall of Adam. Because of what Adam did, sin, sickness, poverty, and death came upon all men. But Jesus said, I identified with you in the first Adam. And through my death, my burial, and my resurrection, I became the last Adam. Uh, which really helps me understand a little bit even about what he says at the bottom of this. He says, you know, if him that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. Uh, I don't want to go into great detail about the second death because it would warrant a book in its own right. But just to simply put it this way, the first death was the one we were all born into. Adam conveyed sin upon the entire human family. For if by one man's disobedience... Sin came upon all men, and death reigned through that sin. Then through the obedience of the second man, uh, many are reconciled to God. In other words, let me say it like this. It was a one-man plan. And Adam, all of the sin, the sickness, the poverty, the death, all of that, we were born into that death. That's the first death. We were born into that death. We were born literally dying. The only way out of that death is through a death. And so to me the second death is not uh, uh, the second time I physically die. The second death is simply a death to the first death. And so I can either submit to the death of Christ, which He said, I'm the first and the last. I'm the, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I identified with you in the first Son, and through my death, burial, and resurrection I became the last Adam. What I can do is identify with the death of Christ that was my death because He through death destroyed Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So the second death to me is simply a death to the first one. Now if you will identify with what Christ did in His death, burial, and resurrection and apply that to your life, you will not be hurt by that second death. But if you reject that, then if, in other words I can say it like this, you're either going to die by provision or you're going to die by process. What do you mean by that, Brother House? You're either going to identify with the death of Christ as being your death, identify with it through death, burial, and resurrection, or you're going to continue to put yourself through suffering, and it's going to cost you every time you go through more and more suffering that you needlessly have to. My point is avoid as much pain as you can possibly. Let me just say it like this. You know, the Lord uh, kind of opened a scripture to me in the latter part of the book of Revelation, uh, and, uh, and when I used to read this scripture, it almost made me not even ever want to... Uh, even deal with anything that had to do with the book of Revelation because verse 18 of chapter 22 says, For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And I begin to think, you know, man, as I read that, 
I, I, got, I thought, Lord, you know, who in the world would even ever want to take a shot at preaching from the book of Revelation if that's talking about if we mishandle this book at all, uh, you know, we're going to, you know, God's just going to judge us. But what that simply says to me is this. If I, it's not just the words of the prophecy of the book of Revelation. It's the words of the prophecy of the whole book. Because the whole book, the whole Bible is a revelation of Jesus. In the Old Covenant, it's Jesus concealed. In the New Testament, it's Jesus revealed. But the whole thing is a revelation of God and His redemptive work of salvation among humanity. So you say, well, what do you mean if you take away from the words of the prophecy of this book? Well, if I start teaching to you that, that, that healing is no longer available for you today, and I tell you that God is not a healer and that Jesus didn't pay for it, and there's people teaching that. But the truth of it is, is that when you take that out of the book, it's not simply that, uh, 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 you know, God just comes on the scene and judges you. But what happens is when you don't have a revelation of that, then that part is omitted from your life. In other words, if you don't believe Jesus is a healer, you're not going to receive healing. If you teach that, if you add to people uh, the plagues of this book, you add to them and you tell them, well, God is using sickness. God is using sin. God is using cancer to process to you. You add to them the plagues of this book. I'd rather preach a revelation of Jesus that omits that. And so I believe that what he's simply saying to them is that uh, Second death is simply a death to the first one. I'd rather identify with what Jesus did through his death, his burial, and his resurrection and be part of uh, not being hurt of the second death. Or I could say it like this. It'd be like Jonah. You can get on the boat. Let God pay the fare. God told Jonah, he said, get on the boat and go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh. God said, you're going to Nineveh. See, the deal is, uh, you know, uh, predestination again to me even is not just about heaven and hell because he says, whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate not to go to heaven or hell, but to be conformed to the image of his son. So what we're predestined for is we're predestined if we're in Christ, and that's the context of that book, to be conformed to the image of his son. And the bottom line is you can go the easy way, or you can go the hard way. And you can get on the, bo the boat, let God pay the fare where Jesus paid it all, so to speak. Get on the boat, take a cruise, go to Nineveh, enjoy the journey. Or you can say no to God, because Jonah says, God, I'm not going to Nineveh. And uh, the scripture says in the book of Psalms, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, but it literally reads like this. The word there is is in italics means it's not in the original language. It literally reads like this. The fool says in his heart, no, God. And the moment you say no to God, you are a biblical fool. Because then you got, the Bible said, then Jonah went down to Tarshish. Tarshish means the place of the breaking. The moment you say no to God, you bring on yourself endless or senseless breaking. I mean, the reality of it is you lower yourself into the snare of the enemy. And that's what he's saying here in this church is the devil's going to cast some of you into prison. And you're going to be tried for 10 days. If you remember what I taught in the last segment, 10 days was the number of days from the blowing of trumpets on the first day of the seventh month. There was a trumpet that sounded that announced the day of atonement that would occur on the 10th day of that seventh month. And that tenth day of the seventh month would be a day of atonement. The, the atoning work of Jesus Christ, what the trumpet sounded was it was a blast of a ram's horn, a prophetic voice, if you will, that would help you to understand that Jesus has paid the price 
on the Day of Atonement that His atoning work for you has been paid for. So what He's simply saying to them is, you're going to be in prison until you come to a revelation of what the atoning work of Jesus did. That's really the afflicting of the soul, and that's really what repentance is about. That is coming into a uh, revelation. I used to hear a guy that used to say it like this, when the trumpet would sound on the first day of the seventh month, that meant you got ten days to pay your bills. That was like a grace period from the time of the blowing of trumpet to the tenth day where you got ten days to pay your bills and you better pay up. But the truth of it is I don't really embrace that like that. I really believe that the trumpet sounded to show you that Jesus already paid your bills. He already paid the price. He already redeemed you from the suffering of sin, sickness, poverty, and death. Now your rebellion can put you in a lot of places that God didn't do to you. God is not the one who initiated it, but you put yourself just like Jonah did in a place where you initiated a suffering that's needless. I mean, you know what, there's a lot of people that inflict upon themselves needless suffering. You say, well, Brother Howes, uh, you know, can God teach us something through that? Well, I hope, I hope we learn something through it because even a dog will learn by repetition. But I'd rather learn, you know, that I don't, you know, in other words, after you've had enough pain, you're going to quit repeating the same things, get the same results, and just start walking in the revelation of what He's already done. He's the first and the last. His death was my death. His suffering was my suffering. I want to avoid as much pain as I possibly can. You say, well, Brother House, doesn't there any kind of suffering at all that we go through? Well, the Bible tells us that the suffering that we do go through is when men shall say all manner of evil against us falsely, when they persecute us for righteousness, when they put you out of their synagogues. That is a suffering for righteousness' sake. That's a suffering that we've not been redeemed from. So we've got to be clear on what it is, or we will add to people the plagues of the book, or we will take from them uh, the revelation of what they've been redeemed from. But again, once again, you see what Jonah is, he gets on the boat, he goes down to Tarshish. He says, no, God, I'm not going to Nineveh. God said, you're going to Nineveh. He said, no, God, but the fool says, no, God. And, and he went to Nineveh. He went to the place of the breaking. He went down into Tarshish. I mean, he literally went down in the ship. He got cast into the sea. But in the middle of the belly of hell, the Bible said he prayed and he prayed, being swallowed up by a great fish. And when he prayed in praise, hell started to vomit him out. And I believe that when you pray in praise, no matter what you're going through, and the moment he said yes to God, the moment he said, yes, Lord, I'll go to Nineveh, is the moment that great fish vomited him up on dry land. So you can end a lot of your suffering real quick by simply saying, yes, God. Here I am. There's somebody watching me right now, and you've been, you've been, you know, you've been swimming against the tide. You've been kicking against the pricks. You've been trying to say no to God, but the truth of it is, is a simple yes is going to make hell vomit you up. Hallelujah. When you pray and praise in hell, when you give God glory and you pray and praise, when you're walking through situations in, uh, uh, and I'm not talking about after the grave, but when you're, there are people walking through hell right now. And there are people that are going through things. But the moment you say yes to God, the moment you say, uh, the moment you pray and you praise in hell, you give hell the bellyache. I'm telling you, that's why prayer and praise is so powerful, is because it'll vomit you out into the purpose of God. And Jonah ended up in Nineveh on time where God told him he would go. But he certainly could have done it a whole easier way. That's what I'm trying to say that God is telling the church here to repent of. You can go the easy way. You can go the hard way. But I'm telling you, you don't have to suffer. The moment you get a revelation of the, what this trumpet sounds, 
in the feast of the seventh month on the blowing of trumpets that there was ten days until the day of atonement. This church was in prison for ten days and the devil had cast him into prison for ten days. So I'm simply saying that when you come to a revelation of the atonement and the day of atonement, what Jesus did in His finished work, uh, your days of suffering will be over. You will receive a crown of life. Jesus Himself took a crown of thorns so that you could receive a crown of life. He, he, he literally uh, uh, suffered the, the things that you and I had coming so that we could receive the things that He has coming. And so I, I believe that when uh, that he, he not only suffered, uh, put a crown of thorns when He said so we could receive a crown of life. To me a crown speaks of something you put around your head. It's a mentality. It's a rulership, kingdom, authority, dominion way of thinking that flows from uh, the revelation of what Jesus did because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Not only did Jesus wear a crown of thorns to redeem us from suffering but He drank the cup of suffering. When they lifted up the cup full of vinegar He drank the cup of suffering and He said to the Father if there's any other way uh, let this cup pass from me but nevertheless uh, not my will but thine be done. When He did that, He drank that cup of suffering and, and redeemed us from that suffering so that we don't have to experience that again. And I, I really think about even the story of Joseph and Benjamin. Where Joseph to me, who was a great picture of the greater Joseph, Jesus Christ, who has gone ahead of us, being rejected by his Israeli brethren and his uh, his family and cast into a pit and cast aside and what they meant for evil God was turning for good because while they'd cast him into a pit and then Potiphar's house and then a prison he ultimately ended up in the palace and at the palace God had provided and His sovereignty and foreknowledge had predestined that He would be there to redeem His family in the days of famine much like our heavenly Jesus now sets at the right hand of the Father and He has provision for us even in the day of famine. But His purpose was to get His family restored back to Him. His father, His brothers, His full brother Benjamin. And so what He does is he, they come to Egypt for corn. And I love, the symbol, I love the symbolism of the Word of God. But every time I see corn in the Word of God, I think about the suffering of Jesus and I think about His death, burial, and resurrection again because it connects to that because Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abides alone. Jesus was that corn of wheat that fell into the earth and died. I believe what people are hungry for right now, even in the American church, is they are hungry for the revelation of what His death, burial, and resurrection produced. They're hungry for corn. They've come for corn. And all of a sudden we're coming to a period of restoration, I believe, when this greater son of Joseph is sta standing and saying, there is corn that's been provided for you. But what I love about this story is, he says, is my father yet alive? Are my brothers yet alive? And then he begins to ask them to bring Benjamin, his, his full brother, and I believe there's a Benjamin company on the scene right now, the son of his right hand, that are the full brothers, I love that, of this heavenly Joseph. And what Joseph does is he puts his empty cup, his empty silver cup, the king's empty silver cup in the mouth of Benjamin's corn sack. Now what that powerfully pictures to me is the king's empty silver cup, silver in the scripture, is a type of redemption. 
So he puts the empty silver cup signifying that Jesus already drank the cup of suffering and redeemed you from it and through his death and burial. That's what's symbolized in him putting this empty silver cup in the mouth of Benjamin's sack. And when he puts the empty silver cup in the mouth of Benjamin's sack of corn, what he's simply saying is the suffering of what I did as the corn of wheat the suffering has already been drank for you. Imagine the shock on their imagine the shock on their faces when they opened that sack of corn and realized the king's empty cup was already in the mouth of that sack. It's going to be much like the revelation that comes to people in the American church when they open the sack of the revelation of the finished work of Jesus Christ and realize Jesus already drank the cup of suffering for me and I don't have to suffer needlessly. Let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to bring a revival of restoration that's unprecedented and what's going to happen is people are going to begin to return to Him and what really ultimately happens is, is they end up back in Egypt and Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. I believe God is revealing Himself to His people in this hour as the Redeemer. What we don't understand a lot of times is that salvation and redemption is more than just a ticket to heaven. When I think about salvation, it, 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 we are being saved. Listen, salvation includes its total and complete deliverance. That's not just a ticket to heaven. That means sin, sickness, poverty, death, all the stuff that we go through in this physical life sometimes is what we've been redeemed from. I believe when he begins to say that to this church in the book of Revelation, he's saying to the church of Smyrna, the suffering church, you need to metanoia, change the way you think. And the moment you do, and the moment you get a revelation of this trumpet sounding and this 10 days that brought you to the Day of Atonement, your suffering days are over. Up until then, the devil will cast you into prison that you could be tried. But if you'll be faithful to a death, be faithful to what death? And I know there's martyrs out there, and I don't diminish that. But if we're faithful to a death that occurred 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross, I want to be faithful to that his death was my death and his death was enough for me his suffering his suffering was not just uh, so to show me how to suffer his suffering was to redeem me from suffering then you can minimize a lot of the suffering that's in your life thank you for joining us we're about to run out of time again I want you to tune in again every week as you we continue to unfold this series on the book of Revelation take a moment to call that number on the screen and sow a seed into the ministry order the books and the products you'll be blessed by the book of Revelation that I wrote. It is available on our website and you can, it's available on Amazon.com. But call and get that sow seed into the ministry. If you need prayer, there's somebody standing by right now to take your call. Your suffering days are over. God bless you. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.